Today we're going to begin John chapter 11. The entire chapter is about the raising of Lazarus. And we're going to study this over the next five Sundays. It's an amazing chapter, amazing passage of Scripture. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is the timing of God to deal and to work in our lives. You know, in the story, uh, Jesus is out of town when Lazarus dies, and they send for Jesus, but he delays his going uh, to Bethany, to Lazarus. And it's something that especially bothers Mary. In fact, later in the story, Jesus will arrive and Mary will say to Jesus, Jesus, if you'd just come when we called for you, perhaps Lazarus would still be living. And so the whole thing here is about why does God delay his working in our lives? He doesn't work on our timetable so many times. You know, I was thinking about the, the whole delay idea. And I'm here at Klein's Corners, an iconic stop on Route 40 when you're heading out west from Oklahoma into New Mexico. And I can remember even as a child stopping at this place. And it was such a big, fun tourist trap. You can buy fudge in here. You can buy trinkets of any kind in here. And uh, we would delay our stopping anywhere else so that we could time it to come to Klein's Corners. We wouldn't stop in Tucumcari uh, or further down in Albuquerque, but we would want to time out and delay our, our stopping to be able to come to Klein's Corners. And we delayed it because we wanted to come to this place that was the best, we thought. And that's what God does. Many times it seems like God is delaying and we get frustrated with that. But when God seems to delay his timing and working in our lives, it's always for our best because it's not according to our timetable, but according to his. You've been to Klein's Corners. You been there? Really? Not that many? Well, you're missing a cultural experience by not going there. And I may or may not have eaten that whole box of fudge when we stopped, too. So uh, let's talk about that today, talking about the raising of Lazarus and what all that means for us today. Uh, so to me, this is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, John 11. It's one of the greatest stories in the Bible. Uh, John takes a long chapter to tell us this one story, uh, tremendously significant story uh, of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus. Now, uh, this, this story kind of centers in Bethany, which is a town right next to Jerusalem, and it actually centers in the home of these siblings, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And since we're going to be kind of spending some time with this family for the next several weeks, I want us to kind of talk about them. And first of all, let's just talk about the idea of it might seem a little odd to us that the Son of God would have friends. I mean, we might think, well, Jesus is completely self-sufficient. Why did Jesus even need friends? Did he want friends? Did he enjoy his friendship? And, and I think he did. And uh, he was very close to these people. And uh, friendship is an interesting thing. I, I was doing some research for this message, and there's a big Harvard study out in, out in uh, a county, I think, in California. There was 7,000 people in this study, and they did it over the course of several years. And they were studying the impact of close relationships, friendships, on the overall health of people. And it was pretty fascinating. They said that if you have close friendships, close relationships... Uh, you are three times more likely to live longer than people who are isolated. In fact, the, the, in the, the study reveals, interesting, if, if, you were, if, if you had health problems, right? So 
if you smoked or alcoholic or didn't eat well, that kind of thing, uh, you, you could have health problems but live significantly longer than someone who was healthy but isolated. And I kid you not, I read the, I read the study by Harvard, and I, I got to the end of it, and I just came to the conclusion, this study says it is better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. I'm not kidding. That's pretty much what the study said. And I thought, I'm down with that. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly good with that. Then I read another study. It was in the um, uh, Journal of American Medical Association. And it was that people who have close relationships can kick a cold, the common cold, much quicker than people who are isolated. And then, I kid you not, <laughs> this study said, people who have close friendships produce less mucus than people who are isolated. And I got to the end of that study and I said, the, uh, the sum of this study is if you're unfriendly, you have more snot than if you're friendly. Science. That's interesting. So here's Jesus, and maybe to our surprise, he has these friends, close friends. And so let's take our Bible, turn to John chapter 11 uh, this morning, and today we're just going to kind of bite, we're going to, over the next several weeks, we're going to bite the, this whole chapter off in chunks here, and we're going to read the first six verses this morning, and just kind of make some observations and applications from what we can learn as we begin this great story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So John 11, verse 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, some kind of interesting enigmatic statements right there in that passage, and we're going to tackle those as we come. But since we're going to spend some time with this family, let's just talk about these three friends of Jesus who were all uh, siblings. And um, just a little by way of a little bit of background, incidentally, when you come to John 11, this is, this is kind of the end of, uh, of, uh, of, of a, the, the public ministry per se of Jesus. Chapter 12, Jesus is going to go to the cross. I mean, from 12 all the way to the end of, end of the gospel, it's all about Jesus going to the cross. And so chapter 11 is Jesus is just kind of stepped back for a little bit, and he seems to be focusing his energy ministering to those that are closest to him. That's kind of the backdrop. Uh, behind this. This is the last of seven miracles in John's gospel, and John seems to be crescendoing them. And so you get to the greatest of the seven miracles, which is Jesus raising someone from the dead. Now, these friends, uh, let's start with Lazarus. The family, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, the family is mentioned in all four of the gospels, which is significant. There's not a whole lot of things that are mentioned in all four of the Gospels. This family is. Now, the thing that strikes me about Lazarus as I study the Scripture, I just like to look at all these little details and ask all these questions. The thing that strikes me about Lazarus is he's never quoted. His two sisters are quoted. They talk. 
But Lazarus never says a thing in the Gospels, which probably is an inference on my part, but it might lead us to think that Lazarus is kind of a quiet man. Uh, Maybe he's not a man of many words. Maybe he doesn't speak very good. And yet you get to chapter 12, and after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus' testimony is so powerful that not only do the Pharisees want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus as well. Why? Because John's going to tell us here in a little bit, this little editorial note, that because of Lazarus, a lot of Jews were coming to faith in Jesus. So kind of take heart here. If you're someone who, who doesn't like to speak much, if you're someone who you don't feel like you speak very well, you can have a very powerful testimony. And that's what Jesus does in, in this man's life in this chapter. Now, here comes Martha. Now, Martha is famous a little bit for uh, kind of a negative thing. So you remember the story when Jesus comes to the house in Bethany and he sits down and Mary just sits at the feet of Jesus. And Martha is in the kitchen and she's cooking and she's cleaning and she's slaving and she really gets kind of upset with her sister. And she walks out there and and John doesn't, the, the gospel writers don't give us this detail, but I'm sure she looked at her sister like this. You know how sisters can look at each other? And then she looks at Jesus and says, will you make her get up and help me? And then you have the little famous double dip there, Martha, Martha. And Martha was someone who serves really well, but sometimes can get caught up in herself or in the busyness of serving and forget why she is serving. Here's what you're going ha- to see in this chapter. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and it he transforms Lazarus's testimony. But for Martha, he transforms her attitude. How can I say that? Because we're going to go to chapter 12 and see they have a banquet for Lazarus and Jesus. And in the banquet, Martha is serving and serving and serving, except guess what she's not doing this time? She's not complaining. And so in this chapter, he does this for her. And then you have the other sister, Mary. It's interesting. Luke 10, Jesus comes over to the house. Luke 10, Mary is sitting at his feet. In John 11, Jesus comes to the house because Lazarus is sick. Mary comes out and falls at his feet. And then in the next chapter, chapter 12, Mary is going to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. And in ancient times, this was the posture of a disciple. You, you sat at their feet. In fact, we don't use that terminology really today. I'm old enough to remember when that was used. We would say, I sat at the feet of so-and-so, meaning so-and-so was our mentor, was the, some, the person who taught us. And what Jesus is going to do for Mary is he's going to show her something amazing. She probably never even dreamed that she would see that Jesus would raise someone from the dead. Now, just a little pause We as Christians, we need to model our lives after Jesus. So whatever Jesus did, we should do. And one of the things that Jesus did was he had close friendships. And that says something for us today. We need close friendships. We need community. We need people in our life, not just to encourage us, but to, uh, to hold us accountable. I, I like that old phrase that says, if one person calls you a donkey, dismiss it. If two people call you a donkey, buy a saddle. Sometimes there's people in our lives that, that, that hold us accountable. 
And so if you don't have community in your life, you need that. Find a small group at church that you can join. What, 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 whatever you need to do, we need to do that and need to have that in our lives. Now, I've kind of titled this message today, Wisdom and Trials, okay? And we can't forget that the whole backdrop to this whole story is this is a family in crisis, right? They have a loved one that has become so sick, he, he is about to die, and in fact, he does die. So here's a family in crisis. They, they are facing one of the biggest trials they undoubtedly have faced in their lifetimes. And so I think when we look at that, let's find some wisdom here. First of all, in Mary and Martha's request to Jesus, and then also in Jesus' response to their request, I think there's a lot of wisdom here for us when we are living for the Lord in trials. Now, can I just make one more little aside? And you need to look at me, and I want to teach you this, and you need to listen, okay? You ready? You need to remember this. Put it right here in your pocket. Isn't it fascinating that the, one of the people that Jesus was closest to in his life gets sick and dies? What does that teach us? It teaches us that even if you love Jesus and Jesus loves you, that does not make you immune to the trials and tribulations of life. And there's some really awful theology out there today that says, if you have any trial or tribulation in your life, well, that means you just don't love Jesus enough. That means that you're just not right with God. That is foolish. People who love the Lord with all their heart and the Lord loves them perfectly are still going to experience difficult times in life. It's just part of it. So how do we respond in wisdom when we face those difficult times. So I think these sisters here teach us a little bit something about prayer. We, we need prayer when we are going through difficult times. So here's just the first little simple, simple point I'd wanna share with you today is this. First thing is, Mary and Martha just take their need and they let the Lord know about it. They bring the matter to Jesus. Uh, it's very, very dangerous when we kind of come to places in life and we think, oh, hey, I don't need the Lord. I don't need Jesus. I, I can handle this on my own. I don't, need, I don't need to bother him as if you were going to bother him. But it is a mistake. It is not wisdom in your life. If you ever think, well, I can do this thing in my life without the help of the Lord. I, I love what Psalm 46.1 says on the screen. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When you're in trouble, go to God for help. Now, one of the things that I think is important to point out in this is I'm sure that Mary and Martha are doing everything possible, physically speaking, for Lazarus. So whatever medical knowledge was there in the first century AD, I am sure that they are doing that for Lazarus. They're doing everything they can and yet, while doing everything they can, they know they've got to go to Jesus with this. And what great wisdom for us today. You know, a Christian today, when you are in, when you are in need of, of help, when you, you have some kind of your trouble, a Christian today should use whatever wise means at their disposal. They, they should do that. And what I'm meaning is this. If you're sick, go to the doctor. 
If you are needing a job, start networking, start looking. If you need help and need to talk someone, talk to someone. But understand this little principle right here on the screen. We are not doing all we can until we pray to the Lord. You're not doing, do everything you can. Go to the doctor, go, go network, go, go do whatever you need to do. Do everything you can, but understand this. If you're not going to the Lord with it, you are not actually doing all that you can. I love this quote from an old theologian, J.C. Ryle. Look at this quote on the screen. In all our doing, we must never forget that the best and ablest and wisest helper is in heaven at God's right hand. Like afflicted Job, our first action must be to fall on our knees and worship. Like Hezekiah, we must spread our matters before the Lord. Like the holy sisters at Bethany, we must send up a prayer to Christ. Let us not forget in the hurry and excitement of our feelings that none can help like him and that he is merciful, loving, and gracious. So when you're in trouble, take it to the Lord. Now here's the second thing I want you to see is the basis on which these sisters go to the Lord. And, and this, is, this is so great. Look at what they say. Look at what they say to Jesus. Look at this. They just say, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love. Isn't that fascinating that they phrase it like that? Notice that they don't go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, because we love you so much, you need to go help our brother. Notice that they don't say to Jesus, Jesus, because Lazarus loves you so much, you should go help him. That's not the basis for their inquiry to him. And we have to understand, like these sisters did, my love for Jesus is not perfect. It's very flawed. My my righteousness, my efforts at it, very flawed. But the way that Jesus loves me is perfect. So I don't go to Jesus for salvation, in times of trouble, I never go to Jesus on the basis of me. I'm flawed. But I go to Jesus on the basis of him. I go to the Father through Jesus' righteousness. This is why we always end our prayers in Jesus' name. God, I want you to hear my prayer, not because of any goodness about me. I never end a prayer in, in my name. In Todd's name, you know, God, you should listen to me because I am so righteous. No, God, I want you to listen to me, and I'm appealing to you in Jesus' name. And because of his perfection, you see? So think, think how, that, how that just plays out. You know, even like salvation. What does John 3.16 not say? It doesn't say, we, the world, so loved God that God sent his only begotten son to us. No, the world hated God. Why does God send his son to this world? Uh, because of his love. Now, look at, these, look at these verses on the screen. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Why does Jesus come to be the sacrifice for our sins? Not because we loved him, but because he loves us. Even our own love for God doesn't stem from us. It stems from God. Look at 1 John four nineteen. We love because we're such great people. No, we love because he first loved us. And friends, there's a lot of comfort in that. All right, bam, 
Here comes some trial or tribulation that hits my life. And I want to go to God, and I want to ask God for help in this trial and tribulation. But maybe I haven't been the best Christian lately. And so I have a lot of doubt. You know, how God, I, I have made a lot of sins and mistakes in the last you know, couple of weeks, and I really need your help now. And so I wonder if you would hear me. You know, wait, maybe God, here's what I probably should do. Hang on real quick. I'm going to be right back, and I'm going to go for like three days, and I'm going to do a ton of good deeds, and maybe that can kind of earn my right for you to hear me. never works that way. And you need to be thankful for that. I, I never have to... to Wonder is God going to hear my prayer because I've been good enough? It doesn't work like that. It's not about me. It's about him. It's rooted in him. Now, here's a little example, okay? Y'all just work with me. I'm going to be a little silly, but watch this video. I'm just going to let it loop while I talk, okay? This is Russell Wilson. He's the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, he's throwing a football a long way down the field through that circle down there. But I want you to watch this again. Watch, watch the ball. Watch this. Do you see how it curves? I mean, not only is, is this man good, I mean, he's good. Because the wind is blowing today out here. And he measures, he plays the wind and throws the ball to the left and bends the ball back into the circle. I, don't, I, can't, I can't stop watching that. <laughs> wow. Now, here's, here's the fun. Let's just play this. Okay? Just, just hypothetical. Imagine with me. Let's say that somebody kidnaps me. They capture me. And they, they, they take me out to this field set up with all these obstacles in it. And they say, all right, Todd, you must find someone on a windy day that can throw the football through that circle down there. And if you don't find someone in 24 hours, we're going to kill you. Right, my life is dependent on someone accomplishing this task. And so, man, I, they said, you got 24 hours. Okay, what do I do? Man, I go to social media, and I say, all right, everybody, come on, I need your help. Sign up. Everybody, if somebody didn't throw this ball through there, they're going to kill me. And I sign up. And, and after several hours, you know, all of you, you're, you're, you're good people for me, and all of you are signing up. I'll be there. I'll show it. And I'm looking at the sign-up list to accomplish this difficult task, and I notice that the sign-up list is all of you. And I'm not very encouraged. Because I'm looking at some of you. Some of you don't even know what a football is. Some of you couldn't throw a football three yards. And I'm looking at the list, and I see this name and this name and this name, and my heart begins to sink. And then I come across the name Russell Wilson. <sighs> I'm saved. This guy can't do it, and she can't do it, and he can't do it, and she, but this guy can do it. You see, all of my hopes in the Christian life, they all hang not on me and not on you, but on Jesus. He is the basis on which I come to the Father whenever I am in trouble and in need. And isn't that good news? And here's the third thing about these ladies' prayers. Look at this. I like this. I just like that they leave everything, they leave it, just up to Jesus. Isn't it interesting? He whom you love is ill. <laughs> I, I, 
I just think it's amazing that they send no instructions. They give no detail to Jesus, right? Um, notice that they don't say, hey, Jesus, uh, uh, he's sick. Here, just stop with this. Did anybody notice they don't even name him? They just say, he whom you love. And on the surface, you'd think Jesus is like, oh, I love a lot of people. Who are they talking about? No, they just trust him. He whom you love. Jesus, you know who we're talking about. And they don't say to Jesus, Jesus, you better come quick because he's super sick. And if you don't get here within 12 hours, and they don't give, they don't give God any of these uh, demands. They just say, Jesus, he's sick. Sometimes I think we go to God in our troubles and we give him a lot of demands. All right, God, here's what I need you to do, and I need you to do it just like this. What I need to do in my prayer is I just need to leave it. I just bring my request to him. And God, when I come and I pray to you in my time of trouble, I'm going to trust Romans 8.28 that you work out everything for good for those who love you. Trust him with it. So, That's some wisdom for our prayer life when we're in trouble, when we're in need. Now, let's look at Jesus' response, okay? Let's look at these next couple of verses. So I think there's three ways here that God's going to work in our trials. And I want to start by saying this, talking about Jesus' perspective on our trials. And let's just start kind of at 30,000 feet. When I have a trial, when I go through some kind of affliction, through something in life, I need to understand what is God's perspective on my trial. And isn't it interesting, look at verse four. In verse four, Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. Stop. And I'm reading this and I go, whoa, 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 wait, whoa, whoa. Why in the world did you say that, Jesus? This illness does not lead to death. Oh, yes, it does. Jesus, oh, don't worry. His illness won't make him die. He died. So why in the world would Jesus say this illness doesn't lead to death? Because Jesus knows, one, that he's about to go to Bethany here in a couple of days, and two, that he has the power to raise this man from the dead. So here's a little perspective for you. You ready? As a Christian... Whenever you face whatever it is in your life, you need to put this little phrase right here in the back of your mind, this does not lead to death. Wait a minute. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) Because we're all going to die in this room. I mean, unless Jesus returns. And listen, I'm just going to tell you, if Jesus returns in my lifetime, I want it to be before the election. Okay? Just come before a week from Tuesday. Uh, We're all going to die in this room. 100% mortality rate. I checked it just this morning. And you see, for those of us on earth, when a loved one dies, it seems like loss. It seems like such a tragedy. But you've got to understand, for a person who loves the Lord, when they die, it's not the end of everything. It's actually the beginning. And and you think, look, look at what Paul said to the Corinthians. Look at this. He's talking about our bodies, right? What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Friends, this chapter is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, along with 1 Corinthians 15, about the Christian doctrine of the resurrection. 
And you need to understand right now, what's he saying right here? Uh, not only did Jesus Christ rise from the dead, one day Jesus is going to return to this earth, and he's going to return to this earth with all of a heavenly host. Uh, that's you and me who love the Lord. What happens to me if I die today? Uh, my spirit will be in the presence of Jesus. That's true for everyone who loves the Lord. And one day in the future when Jesus returns, I'm coming with him. And Jesus, when he comes to this earth, he's going to pop up all the graves. And he is going to give to all those who loved him new glorified bodies. This, this isn't just Christianity thing. This isn't some pie in the sky kind of mystical, what is heaven? Heaven is we're going to all be you know, baby angels in diapers playing a harp. I mean, we're talking real bodies living with him for all of eternity. So you need to understand, when you have a loved one that dies, when you face your own mortality, you've got to say to yourself, this does not lead to death. Apply it to whatever trial you're going through in life right now. Uh, are you being unjustly accused? Are you facing injustice in life? One day you will be ultimately justified. Are you facing poverty? Are you having money troubles today right now? One day you will enjoy heavenly riches. Are you sad? Are you lonely? Are, 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 are you discouraged? One day you're going to spend all of eternity in the actual presence of Jesus. We need to teach ourselves this thing does not lead to death. Here's a second perspective. Jesus has a plan to deliver us from our trials. Look at verse 5 and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> I mean, just go ahead and laugh. I mean, do you all see that? Do you hear what John is saying? I mean, it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> what John is saying is, here comes the messenger. Hey, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. And Jesus says, oh, man, I love that guy. And I love his sisters. I love them so much that... Now, what's going to come out of his mouth next? Here's a guy so sick, he's about to die. You come to someone who has the power to heal him, and the man says, oh, I love that guy so much, I'm going to, what, what should come out of his mouth next? I'm going to get there as fast as I can. But what does Jesus say? I love that guy so much, even though he's sick, he's about to die, I love him so much, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit here for two days and do nothing. Two and two ain't making four right here, gang. Unless you see it from God's perspective. Why does Jesus delay for two days going to see Lazarus? And Mary's going to get on him when he gets there. When he gets there, Mary's going to say to Jesus, Jesus, he's dead. And if you had come when we asked you to, he'd still be alive. So uh, why does he do this? I want you to consider the statement on the screen. God is loving enough not to do what we want him to do, but what we need him to do, whether we're aware of it 
or not. Here's a good example. Remember Joseph in Genesis in the Old Testament? So here's Joseph. I mean, man, Joseph, he's had a tough life. His brother sold him into slavery, and he finds himself in Egypt. And, and now he, he, he's in Potiphar's house, right? And Potiphar's wife comes and makes an advance. Of, I mean, he gets out of there. She comes and does that again, and he just gets out of it so fast, he leaves his coat in her hands. And here's a guy for doing the right thing, not sinning, gets put into jail. And don't you know the moment he got put in jail, Joseph said to God, God, vindicate me here, God. I didn't do anything wrong, God. Will you please get me out of jail, God? I'm sure Joseph prayed that prayer. And you know what God did? Nothing. Because in that jail, he waited. And he waited. And he waited over two years before God delivered him out of that jail. Now, was God really doing nothing? No, I think God was using that time, keeping this man in jail, to build the faith of this man. Because he gets him out of jail, and then a little bit later on, through his shrewd management, he's gonna save countless of people of starvation. And when he meets his brothers who sold him into slavery, he's going to look at these guys and say, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. It wasn't fun in that jail. And it wasn't fun in slavery. But I look back on it now, and uh, God meant it for good. So why does Jesus wait two days before he goes to Bethany? Uh, I think I answered it for you at the beginning of the sermon. What does Jesus want to do in Lazarus' life? I think he wants to take this man who quite possibly was very quiet and timid and transform this man's testimony. Do you realize that he doesn't do this in this man's life unless he raises him from the dead? Uh, here's a sister, Martha. And let's be honest, she's a great person. She loves to serve and work, but her attitude stinks. And unless this woman sees Jesus raise her brother from the dead, maybe her attitude never changes. But it does. Here's another sister, Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet. She wants to soak everything in from Jesus, and she probably has no even clue that he can even do this, raise her brother from the dead. So here's what you got to realize. You may be right in the midst of a deep trial, and um, I'm going to be honest with you. None of this is easy, is it? And if we're going to be very real in this sermon, here it comes. When a child dies, don't you want to look at God and say, where are you? And do you really care? When... Uh, you find your place in self in a place that's just indescribably difficult. You want to look at God. God, where are you? The fact that I'm still in this trial, the fact that I have to go through this makes me think you don't love me. Hmm. We all have to understand. Many times God delays delivering us out of a trial, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan. And probably what God is doing is, one, he is 
shaping your faith and molding your faith. And I'm going to say this. You might be upset with me, but here it comes. You realize that God shaping your faith is actually more important than you being happy and wealthy and healthy. Did you know that? That's the first thing he may be doing. And the second thing is our last thing. His purpose in our trials is to glorify himself. You see what Jesus said? Hey, this illness doesn't lead to death. He says, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Hey, did you understand that every single thing God is doing, he is doing to bring glory to himself? And sometimes people actually don't like that, right? So don't, don't say that about God, that God is doing everything to bring glory to himself. That makes him sound very prideful. And I always want to respond, he's God. This is what he does. And what is that great statement? From the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is to do what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So when you're over here in a trial, here's how we should pray. When you're here in a trial, don't forget this doesn't lead to death. Don't forget he has a plan, and the plan is to shape my faith, to build my faith, and to bring glory to him. And I want to just, I want to leave you with this thought. If you're right now in the midst of a trial and you feel like God isn't there and you feel like God doesn't care, I want you to understand this. When Jesus asks you to endure a hardship for his glory, know that he is not asking you to do anything that he has not already done himself. So don't sit over here and say, where are you, God? You don't care, God. No, Jesus has already walked the same road long before you did. And you remember the night of the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified, what does he say? God, here's what I want. I want you to be glorified in all of this. But hey, at the same time, if I don't have to do this, that would be great too. Take this cup from me. And so here he is on the cross. Was this easy for him? Was it real? Sure. God, why have you forsaken me? But in the end, what did he do? He embraced it, and he knew that God was going to be glorified. So, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So I'm going to ask you this question. You ready? You listening? Are you willing to endure hardship so God can be glorified? Are you willing to wait on Jesus to come from across the Jordan to your Bethany? Are you trusting in his plan? Are you trusting in his purpose? Friends, that is wisdom when we find our lives in times like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for encouraging us today. Lord, when we're going through difficult times, it's just tough. It's just hard. But how grateful we are, Lord, for the reminder today that we need to bring our troubles to you. We're not doing all that we can if we don't do that.
And Father, when we are in the, the midst of suffering, train us, teach us to know this does not lead to death. Train us, teach us to know you are building and shaping our faith and it may take a long time for that to happen. And Lord, you are gonna bring glory to yourself if we are faithful. So friend, right, right, right where you are right now while we're praying, will you just talk to God? Are you willing to endure hardship for his glory? Will you be faithful to him in the midst of the suffering? Father, thank you for encouraging us today from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name.